is February 24th, 2023, and we welcome you to our Chapter 49 podcast. We try to keep it a weekly podcast, and for the third week in a row, we actually have been weekly. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a communications volunteer with Chapter 49 of NTEU. We represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana, but we welcome you and those of you who are um, living and working in Indiana. And, of course, we welcome uh, people from around the country. And a few people around the world, for some reason, have, have interest in, in listening to this podcast. And we always have interest in listening to Duncan Giles, Chapter 49 president. Welcome back, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. So we're uh, going to just jump right into our our uh, serious issues, of which we have several today. Some are going to be a repeat of before, but they're for emphasis because we want everybody to know about them. First one is we've talked about this a few weeks ago, that uh, NTEU had been working on a phone app. Well, it looks like the phone app is now reality. It's uh, it's now uh, been uh, sent out to all uh, the members, so hopefully people have been uh, checking it out, using it on their phones. So explain why this uh, might be helpful to, to people who are members of NTEU. Yeah, this is one of those things that, that I was one of the beta testers for. And you know, just to get information out, access to uh, you know, NTU benefits for folks who want to use them, and NTU sends out infrequently, so it's not bearing you or anything of that nature, uh, important updates on things that are going on that might be of interest to you and your federal career. So it's a handy thing to have. It's not going to be very intrusive for you, but that way you have the ability to look up things from NTU at your fingertips instead of having to go, you know, okay, let me punch in the, you know, NTU.org address and things of that nature. So, so far, I found it to be very handy and nice, and I think the members will uh, like it for those purposes. So what all can you check? I know you can check uh, like news releases that have come out, blog posts. So if you want instant or, or up-to-date information, it it is a good place to go. Yeah, and like I said, that'll take you right to, you know, you can go from there right into the NTU website. You do have to have the uh, be registered on NTU.org, which all members should be. Um, it's a good thing to do. That way you can keep your address updated, things of that nature. But it's very, um, you know, it's an easy download, just like anything else. You go to the, uh, you know, your app store, or you can download it uh, from the QR code that was sent out uh, just a few days ago by NTU National. So it's just like I said, it's just a handy thing to have to get more information at your fingertips about issues that impact you. You know, QR codes uh, are really interesting. There's more and more instances that I've found where people have found uses for them. Uh, there's a fellow who has started has a startup business here in Fishers, Indiana, where I live, and uh, he's kind of made a, a, a high-tech business out of it. I think the first set of customers he had were flower shops. So when you send a flower out, a set of flowers to somebody, uh, there'd be a QR code on there. You can scan it on your phone, and boom, you've got like a video message from somebody who sent you the flowers. So uh, the QR code in this case just sends you right to the NTEU app. So you can just take a picture of it on your phone, and, and you're there before you know it. So once again, you do need to have your password and uh, username that you use to get on 
the website. You can easily sign up for that at ntu.org, and then you can get on that site as well as the phone app. So the phone app just is another way of uh, making it easy for members of NTEU to access the various various benefits you get as a member. Anything on the app you want to mention before we go on to something else? Nothing in particular. I think we've pretty well covered it. Let's talk about something we did talk about before. Uh, It's the Thrift Savings Plan. Thrift Savings Plan, as you may recall, had a large overhaul of of what's available online. They've added a phone app as well into their repertoire. But there's been a, a situation that people need to understand. If you, and I did this many years ago, named by beneficiaries for my Thrift Savings Plan account. Well, what you need to do now is get online check out your TSP account because those beneficiaries you named years ago may not be on your account today. So explain what's going on here. Yeah, when they made this switch over, some of the stuff, as as we both know, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners and viewers know, when you switch over from one system to another, sometimes things get lost in the uh, in the translation of it, and it doesn't make it over to it. And apparently that there were a lot of instances where people's beneficiaries didn't do that. And that's a good thing to have anyway to check to make sure that it's current. You know, you may have people on there that, you know, used to be in your life that are no longer in your life. Um, And so you want to make sure that those beneficiaries are updated and current so that the people who should be getting your TSP, if something uh, happens to you or you, you, know, you pass on, something of that nature, do you get it to the people that you really want it to go to that it's intended for? So it's just this is just a reminder to check that out and make sure that it's how you want it to be because this is something that's yours. And you know, you're going to be, if you want to hand it down, then make sure you're handing it down to the people you want to hand it down to and not those that you may have wanted to 5, 10, 15 years ago. Well, it's good to point out that the thrift savings plan is now a major component of everybody's retirement account. You know, I'm under the old CSRS system, one of the last people hired under that system in 1983 when I joined the federal government. People hired in 84 and after, uh, you know, had a whole different system, and the matching that was allowed on the thrift savings plan for those people made that a major part of your retirement components. In other words, all that, that mix of retirement money you'll be getting, that TSP is a big part of it. So if you've been contributing to the TSP and getting those matches, up to, I think it's up to 5% from the government, uh, we're talking about what could be a substantial amount of money for people. So like you say, if, if you're no longer here, you want the people that you want to get that. And family situations do change, as Duncan alluded to. So just be aware that if you're, if you're not on an online account with the Thrift Savings Plan, get on that as soon as you can. Check your account. And if you need to uh, reaffirm or change your beneficiaries, get on that account and get that done as soon as you can. Thrift Savings Plan's a a major part of, of your retirement. So anything else on that, Duncan? Yeah, and also while you're there, make sure that your retirement contributions, you know, is it the setup, the the mix that you want. You know, there are more life cycle funds on there now. Um, You know, is this what you, you know, the things that you want? I've talked to several people who, when they came in, they put their money in the G fund and have never, ever changed that. So 100% of their money has been going into the G fund. 
and they're not getting much return on their investment for that. So you know, if that's what you want to do and you want to be ultra safe and not have you know much growth, more power to you. But I think everybody's decision is individual. And as you said, this is a major component of your retirement. And you want to make sure that you're doing what's right for you and the growth factor that'll work for you in your retirement. So it's, it's just, you know, it's something to check in on and look at. Yeah, I think the main thing here is is how much risk do you want to take? Now, the G fund is the safest thing you can have. It's totally You can't lose any money in the G fund. Yeah, but the other side of the coin is you're not going to make a lot of money with the, the G fund as far as investment returns are concerned. So the old saying I, I always heard from people was this. As far as how much risk you want to take, how much risk will allow you to sleep soundly at night? If you can sleep soundly at night, you have the investment mix you want. That's a great, great uh, saying because that's that's absolutely true. You, it, some people are extremely risk averse. Other people want to take more of a risk. It depends on your age, how far along you are in the in your service and things of that nature. So for somebody like me, you know, I've dialed back on a lot of the things that I had that were further out uh, and gone more conservative because, you know, I'm going to be looking at retiring in the next few years. And I want to make sure that what I've got now, what's grown, is substantially going to be there. Somebody just starting out, you know, you have the opportunity to say, you know, I'm looking for more growth. So it just depends on what your own individual style is and like I said, it's just a good idea to do almost like a checkup type thing. Well, let's uh, talk about more money issues. People seem to love it when we talk about financial issues, money issues. Here's another one. 2023 is an interesting year because there are some years where instead of having 26 uh, pay periods, you'll have 27 pay periods. And that's what happened in 20. That's what will happen here in 20. 23 some people say oh that's really great we get an extra pay period but there's another side to that and explain why that's of interest to people working at irs and and other federal agencies yeah once you get to a certain point and you're starting to accrue more and more leave then you get into what's called use or lose and for those of you folks who are newer to the service and don't know you can only um you can take 240 hours and roll it over every year. Um, but most of the time you take a look and go, okay, well, I've got 208 hours if I'm in the eight hours per pay period club. But because there are 27 pay periods, now you have an extra, you know, six, four, six or eight hours this year to look at. So you want to make sure that you plan correctly and don't leave, as I like to say, don't leave anything on the table. You know, if you've got those extra hours, you want to plan for an extra day's vacation or half day or three-quarter day, or, you know, you can donate it to the leave bank, whatever you want to do. But because you're going to have that 27th pay period, you're going to have an extra eight hours that's especially important to folks who are in the use or lose category. So just want to make sure everybody is aware of that and can plan accordingly. You know, one thing that's always amazed me, Duncan, and I've told you this before, there are certainly many people who manage their leave in a reasonable way. But what I have found, and maybe just because that's what came to my attention, seem to always deal with people on the extremes. One extreme is people use up all their leave all the time, never have a leave balance. 
On the other hand, we've got people who never take any leave and are faced with that user lose leave at the end of the year. So we're really talking mostly about people who need to plan their use or lose leave at the end of the year, right? Yeah, that's going to have the greatest impact. For somebody like me who in the past has not taken much leave and then sort of like at the end of the year, it's like, holy cow, I'd better take this leave or I'm going to uh, be losing it. So you want to make sure that you're you're planning, like I said, planning accordingly to make sure that you're taking that leave. Let's move on to something else. Uh, I remember I came to work for IRS in 1983 and ended up working um, in the toll-free area in 1986. And when I was first hired, I hadn't had a training class yet. They didn't want to put me on the phones. So they had me do... Uh, kind of clerical support work for a, and part of toll-free, which they called at that time the Problem Resolution Office. I always got a lot of jokes about that. Oh, you work in the problem. Everybody had a problem, not necessarily tax-related. Can you solve my problem? They called it the Problem Resolution Office because it was a place people could go if the systems set up by IRS just did not seem to work for people. They'd gone through the regular system. It just failed them. And uh, so where do, you, where do you go? Well, you went to what was then called the Problem Resolution Office, which had been around for many years. When the IRS reorganized in the late 1990s, the Congress put in a new job at the very top of the organization, which they wanted to have fair, fair independence, even though it's part of IRS, to have a, a reasonable amount of, of independence within the IRS organization. They called it the National Taxpayer Advocate. And that National Taxpayer Advocate was supposed to be heading up an organization that really replaced what was called the Problem Resolution Office, put it in law, and said, hey, this is where you go to advocate for someone who, again, the system has failed them. You know, you've tried to solve a problem, gone through the regular system, and it just isn't getting solved. So the, the problem resolution office went to the taxpayer advocate, and that's been around since the late 1990s. We've had just really a handful of taxpayer advocates at the national level. Uh, but what I find interesting is that as that organization has evolved, especially when you hit something like COVID, I mean, the number of people who have had the, the system fail on them has multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, sadly. So now what we have is a situation where these people who are working these cases in the Taxpayer Advocate Office, which internally we like to call TAS, people in TAS seem to be having just unmanageable workloads. I mean, where people used to have maybe 50 cases a month, they've got 150 or 200 cases a month. And what is a reasonable expectation for somebody to work those cases? So there have been some recent meetings where the management of TAS has been talking to employees. How's that been going so far? Yeah, it has not been going well. Um, this is one of those problems. You know, right now at the IRS, the vast majority of every division has unmanageable inventories. That's why we're ramping up hiring, because we're trying to get more people to do this work. And in most cases, the upper-level management and executives, more or less, realize that, you know, we're not going to be able to do everything that we used to be able to do 15 years ago with few, now with fewer people. So they've, they've taken that into account. TAS is one of those organizations um, that traditionally has had a 
problem in doing this. And in some recent town halls, you know, NTU has a representative in these town halls, uh, you know, to make sure that everything goes smoothly. The employees are able to be heard if management is talking about something that is going to be uh, need to be negotiated over the contract, that we make them aware of it, things of that nature. And Taz, as Bennett's want over its history, um, sometimes more, sometimes less, has not paid proper attention to NTU when we want to talk to them, whether it's uh, National President Tony Reardon or Representative on the phone. And in one of these town halls, you know, they basically, the NTA, uh, from everything I've seen and read, I wasn't there at the call, but has not paid attention to the representative when they try and bring up things like these cases, these caseloads for these advocates. Um, you know, what are they supposed to do? They're doing way too much as we call love time, which is working off the clock to try and do this inventory, which we never, I never, National NTU doesn't, and I'm sure my brethren across the country don't want people working off the clock because that's what, you know, some folks want. We don't want you to do that. We want you to be honest. If you can't handle that workload, we want them to know it. We've told them that. We've told them that there's no way any human being can handle the workload. Now, Taz has got things that others, you know, other divisions don't have. They get these congressional inquiries. They can't really control those. Those are coming rolling out. So, you know, whether or not you're trying to lessen a caseload, you know, when these uh, congressional inquiries come in, they have to be worked. But part of Taz's problem, um, and I was talking to somebody who was there at stand-up, a management official who was there at stand-up um, just recently, and they were saying, you know, Taz used to be all about the team, the employees, the you know, taking care of the taxpayers. And now it's about, you know, we got to get the reports. We have to have the analysts. We have to do that. And the consideration for the employees seems to be much and much lessened. And I know that this is of great concern, very great concern, to National President Reardon, National NTU Vice President Doreen Greenwald, our uh, negotiations team headed by Ken Moffat, uh, you know, National Negotiator Jack Jarrett has been trying to talk to Taz about these issues. Um, you know, we're, we're working to try and find solutions, but there has to be two parties that want to find a solution. And unfortunately, Taz um, has not. And just another perfect example, when we were negotiating a contract, the new contract, the 2022 National Agreement, one of the toughest things was to get telework for Taz caseworkers. Taz was absolutely adamant that, you know, they really couldn't do it. Now, the fact that they were doing it during the pandemic apparently was, you know, just totally out the window. Uh, yeah, we we want to make sure, and I hope uh, Commissioner Werfel, when he comes in, will emphasize this, that employees are treated as the most valuable asset of the service in every division, including TAS, and that unmanageable inventories do not help anyone. Yes, there are cases that have to be worked at certain times, but then you have to extend deadlines because you don't want to give taxpayers unrealistic deadlines either. If you're telling them they're going to be contacted in 30 days, 
or 45 days when you know darn well that nothing's going to happen in that time, that doesn't serve anyone well. So we're hoping that uh, places like TAS start to take a more realistic approach and benefit their employees as well as the taxpayers. Now, I know that this has gone back a long time uh, in terms of uh, the National Union trying to to bring this issue to the forefront. Uh, People like Doreen Greenwald and, and Tony Reardon at the very top of the organization. So when this has happened, have, I mean, even at that level, when, when for instance, the Tony Reardon, the national president, goes to the national taxpayer advocate and says, we've got a real problem, has there been any movement at all when that happens? They give a lot of lip service, and they'll start to do something for a short period of time, and then it appears that they back off and go back to the beatings will continue until morale improves type attitude, which infuriates everybody. And this has been going on for as long as, darn near as long as Taz has stood up, they've been very aloof towards NTU. Well, you know, we're good. We're taking care of our people. We know what our people need. And, you know, originally that might have been the attitude at the top, but that hasn't been the attitude Uh, those employees have not been taken care of for quite a few years. And for them not to realize that NTU is trying to help them to make them realize that they're going to burn their employees out. Employees used to love to come to TAS. That was a spree de corps there. They worked hard. They worked together. Everybody was in it um, to try and help each other. And now what you've got are people that come in there go, what the heck is this? And look to get out as soon as they can, whether it's another job, retirement, things of that nature. The burnout factor is becoming, you know, where it's high everywhere in the IRS. It's really high in TAS and something that apparently National Taxpayer Advocate and uh, the high up executives there don't seem to want to realize, which just astounds me. Well, that is interesting because I've been around the organization long enough to know that for a very long time, TAS is a place where people wanted to end up. They wanted to go there because they thought, for the reasons you mentioned, there was a great atmosphere for working. And that it's amazing and really a sad commentary that that has totally changed. One other thing I'm going to ask you when it relates to this, I'm assuming, and you would know this better than I, that inventory management is still part of the one of the critical elements that a caseworker would have in taxpayer advocate service. Uh, how do you handle this when someone, you know, is is working cases that are unmanageable? Have you found that managers are knocking people down or not willing to to increase their 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 uh, rating in that particular critical element? when the employee's doing the absolute best that she or he can do under the circumstances to manage an unmanageable inventory. And that's going to depend on the area um, advocate and the uh, local taxpayer advocate in every part. There are a lot of them out there who realize employees have a tough way to go, who realize that this is unrealistic and are not dinging them for them doing the best that they can do. Um, You know, it's just like anybody else in the IRS. If you're screwing around and not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're going to be dinged. That's that's going to happen. And, you know, when people come to us, it's like, okay, what's what's going on? What do you want us to do if you're not doing your job? 
But in cases like this, where people are trying their best to keep up, but it, it there's no way for them to actually do it. No human, it's not humanly possible with these inventories. You know, we're going, whether it's locally or nationally, we're going to, um, you know, the management, whether it's TAS, uh, you know, whether it's um, in taxpayer advocate or somewhere else to say, hey, look, we need to be reasonable about this. These employees are doing, you know, the best that they can. Why are you punishing them for you, your inventory that you're giving them? Because we know you can't help the inventory a lot of times, but you can't punish them for doing the best that they can. And a lot of times management officials are responsive to that and are not harming the employees in that way. But you've got these folks in TAS have a really, really deep-seated want to help the taxpayers. And when they can't get to them or they can't get to them fast enough, they feel that they're failing them. So they're working harder. They're working off the clock to try and take care of things um, when it's much to their detriment, to their health, their relationships with their family and friends and burnout. And so we try and tell them, you know, only do what you can do during your work hour time. All right. So if you feel like you're not getting a fair um, evaluation of managing an unmanageable inventory. Talk to your local chapter, correct? Absolutely. Talk to your management first. And if your management is saying, you know, it's, it's something, you know, we have, we can't do anything about it because this is the workload and this is the way it's supposed to be. And you're missing all the deadlines, even though they're unreasonable. Absolutely. Talk to your local chapter so we can step in and see what we can do. I want to talk about uh, an editorial that I read recently in the Washington Post, and I posted this on our uh, Chapter 49 uh, uh, on our uh, Facebook page, which is at NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana, if you're looking it up on Facebook. And I'm a subscriber to the Washington Post. So what I can do is gift a certain number of articles where you can, I can post it on the website, or I'm sorry, in this case, on our Facebook page, and you don't have a paywall issue if you want to read it. So go to our Facebook page and read it if you're not a, a subscriber to the Washington Post. But a very interesting editorial, I thought, because it goes into how IRS is still running it, the, its systems on many uh, information technology systems that are 60, that's six zero, 60 years old. That's how old the technology is. IRS has made some upgrades, but it's been very difficult to do. IRS has not always always received the funding it needs. And I'll be perfectly honest, some of our uh, top executives did not serve us well in past years when Congress gave us money to upgrade our, our modernization systems and modernize our systems. And uh, so Congress has got some skepticism sometimes. Well, we now have money as an agency uh, to upgrade the systems, and now the Congress and other stakeholders say, okay, give us the plan, IRS, give us the plan, Treasury, as to how you're going to spend the money the Congress has given you to upgrade your systems. And, Duncan, uh, once again, Treasury and, and IRS are saying, we're working on it. Do you think that's good enough? No, it's not. And I know that's one of the things that uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen is pushing the IRS leadership for uh, quite a bit is to say, okay, we need to get this plan. 
part of our issue right now is the fact that, you know, we had Commissioner Reddick, whose term ended, and so now we've had a series of actors since we've had, uh, not a series of actors, but an acting commissioner since we've had uh, this funding come along. So, you know, we don't have the people at the top who are going to be here at the top um, probably for the next five years, like we will when Commissioner at, Commissioner Designate Werfel uh, starts once he's confirmed by the Senate. So it's one of those things that we do have to come up with a plan, and especially, you know, for everything, for the hiring, how we're going to do the hiring, how we're going to get people trained up, how we're going to make it easier for the taxpayers, and mostly, like you said, how are we going to improve our technology once and for all to get, you know, where people can actually access their information easily. You know, we have a problem in the fact that we want to be very secure because this is, you know, the most secure information that there is. We want to make sure that, you know, it doesn't get hacked and only the right people who have, uh, who should be getting access to it do have access to it. But, you know, there, there's information out there, there's systems out there for banks and uh, similar type of institutions that have had this technology for a long, long time that we simply do not. And we have got to get this on board. It's it's a Herculean task. It's a very huge one. But hopefully there is a plan in place. And I've heard that they've been working towards this. When it'll come out on exactly what we're going to do is a great question. But it needs to come out. It needs to be modern. And we need to get these taxpayers the access to their records and things that they need. Once we do that, it will help alleviate a lot of things. It will ease up uh, pressure on the phone system. So people who have serious questions or serious issues will be able to get in a little bit easier. It will help for the walk-in offices across the country. If we've got everything together and people know, you know a little bit more, hopefully that will help folks in exam and collection and TAS, our taxpayer advocate. So it all works together. If we improve our technology, hopefully it can make everyone's life a little bit easier. But we need to get this done uh, like yesterday. Well, yes, and I think it's not. we need to all remember at this point that it, as a result of this editorial, it's not just our internal people at IRS. It's not just the inspector general. It's not just Congress looking at IRS with this additional money that's been provided it's the media and the public. You know, they are holding us as an agency accountable. I say us even though I'm retired. But uh, it is a situation where IRS as an agency is under the gun, you know, time to produce. And not having a commissioner is, is makes it more difficult. But still, uh, I do think that, uh, you know, progress could be made on this. And I know Treasury is looking at it as well. So people are watching IRS. Okay, IRS, we're giving you money. What are you doing with it? Uh, let's hope that we, our top executives uh, come through for us uh, as an agency. And even as a retiree, you want, I want you know, IRS to be successful and, and the people continuing to work at IRS continue to have systems that are reasonable and up to date. Okay, Duncan, time for our final comments, and I'm going to start uh, this week. And, and I just want to remind people that we're recording this on the 24th of February, 2023. We've just had the one-year anniversary of the start of the war between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, I think the only thing I will say is remember, folks, as people 
discuss what kind of country we want to have. Uh, you know, look at Ukraine. Ukraine is a nation that has been under the thumb of someone else going back in history for a very long time. I mean, if you want to look at history, the Habsburg dynasty way back ruled uh, Ukraine. Uh, the Romanovs, the, uh, the, the czars of Russia did. And, of course, then it was the Soviet Union. In World War II, for a brief time, the Nazis occupied Ukraine. Ukraine has a pretty tough history of being occupied and under the thumb of a larger power. Well, in recent years, Ukraine actually got a chance to elect its own leaders, have a true democracy, and begin to establish the institutions that go along with being a true democracy in the world today. So when Russia came in and invaded, they fought. And nobody, almost nobody in the world, thought that Ukraine was capable of of fighting off a huge Russian army. Well, they have for a year. It is pretty amazing that what people are willing to do and the lengths are willing to go, at least 7,000 Ukrainians have died, many more injured, and the Russians have had much higher casualties. We think 100,000 of their uh, Russian troops have died, although we don't know for sure. That's the best estimates uh, Western intelligence can come up with that they're willing to share with the media. So I will just say, you know, when you see a situation like Ukraine, treasure what we have here in America, the democracy, the institutions that democracy has established. Uh, be uh, thankful we have them. And uh, I think, Duncan, uh, we, we should uh, more than ever try to uh, preserve what we have in terms of our own democratic institutions. I think that is very well said, Larry. Uh, my my final thought this week is on uh, someone who has gone into hospice care, um, Jimmy Carter, former President Jimmy Carter. Whether you agree with his policies or not, I just think the man is a wonderful example of what a person should be. I mean, he is you know, been steadfast in his belief in trying to help others, whether it's, you know, being the peace prize that he has won, his work since, you know, in negotiating things since he's left the presidency, his work for Habitat for Humanity, even teaching Sunday school up until just a few months ago, every every week that he liked to do. This is somebody who has been steadfast in just being a good man. And I just look to him as an example of someone that we all can look up to, that someone is, you know, is a wonderful human being, has had a great relationship with his wife, Rosalind, for several decades, and is just a very compassionate and loving person. And, you know, there are not enough folks like that in the world to me. And I am saddened to see him, you know, finally starting to, uh, to go at this point. But he has led a full and rich life, and it's been full of hap- uh, helping others. And that, uh, I think, is just the epitome of what we should all strive for. Yeah, I think that's everything you said is true. And I would only add to that that we need to remember Jimmy Carter was president when the Civil Service Reform Act was passed. I think in 1978 went into effect in 79. So uh, he had a very big impact on the, the labor relations and just employee uh, is, uh, relations with, with their agencies and how agencies are to be run. A lot of those uh, 
uh, provisions in the Civil Service Retirement Act that, again, going back to 1978, are still around today. You know, we can argue around the edges that there are some issues, but by and large, that law has has been very good and worked very well, I think, for everyone. So, yes, as, as uh, former President Carter is under hospice care, we should all think about him and think about his family and the service he has given to uh, this country and uh, to, to all of us and the way he has comported himself uh, as a former president. Duncan Giles, thank you very much uh, for joining us again. This is the Chapter 49 podcast. I'm Larry Landon, volunteer. I uh, help out with uh, communications and most of my duties center around this podcast. We, we appreciate all the people who watch and listen. If you want to get an update every time we have a new podcast, just send an email to Duncan Giles at the following address, nteu49 at aol.com, and he'll put you on a list and, and you'll get an update every time. Uh, we have a new podcast, links to both the video and audio versions of the podcast. So once again, we thank you for listening, and please be safe and be kind. <laughs>